Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's certainly glad, to, uh, always a privilege to come. Amen. Certainly count you as part of my family. Is that okay? Yeah. Amen. Part of the family of God. Amen. I want to sing just a little bit more of that. Twas grace that told my heart to fear and grace my now through many dangers through me dangers toys oh is this your testimony I have this morning. Oh, sing it now. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet that sound that saved a wretch. Yes, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I sing praise God raise your hands and sing it now oh praise God praise God yes praise God hallelujah praise God praise God praise God oh praise God praise This morning, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. It was grace. It's the only reason I'm here today. Is that your testimony? The only reason I'm still here today is because of amazing grace. How sweet the sound. The song says that saved a wretch like me. But let me say his grace only got more amazing every day after he saved me. And it's more amazing today than the day he saved me. It's the grace that keeps me. Amen. Are you glad for that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. The book of Job, chapter 1, if you have your Bible. And then we'll go straight to the Word. Thank you. Amen. For all that good singing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Job, chapter 1. I'd like to say again, it's a privilege to come. I appreciate Brother Donnie for asking us. 
Amen. Always just a pleasure and a blessing to come and speak here. Amen. We'd like to look at here this a thought. Amen. The Lord just uh, burned really uh, upon my heart. And I just was uh, even knowing probably a week or two before I came that I would be speaking this. Amen. The Lord just uh, inspired me in that direction. And so we just want to uh, speak to you all this morning on the patience of Job. The patience of Job. Amen. Job chapter 1, we'll just begin reading here at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. It's very similar to what the Bible says about Solomon. And Brother Branham said that Job was not just a good man, Job was a prophet. And Job, being a prophet, had a vision from the Lord. We know the story, goes through all of his trial and all of his torment, comes to the very end and says, uh, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Though the skin worms destroy this flesh, I shall see him. Brother Branham said he, he fell into a vision and seen a risen Savior. Amen. It says here in verse 4, it says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Amen. Let's bow our heads just for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for we believe that that, the, that we're God-ordained people. We believe that you ordained us to live in this generation and in this time, Lord. Fathers, your prophet said he would, not, he would have chosen no other generation to live than to bring forth praises and glory in this age. Lord, what a dark time it is. But Lord, we're so glad today the sun has risen upon our hearts and we could say, arise, shine, for our light has come. Thank you for light upon your word, Lord, light that will shed into our hearts and banish all fear and all doubt. Lord, we believe that that's what your word is sent to do. It's sent to heal your people. Lord, and we need healing today. Lord, we raise our hands and represent a need, Father. Maybe healing in the, in the body, maybe a sickness, a disease, maybe in the mind or in the spirit, Lord. Whatever it is, your word was sent and it healed your people. We're so glad to know that today, Lord, that healing comes from our Father above. Lord, may you bless this service, Lord, and may your word speak to us, Lord, in a way, Father, that only you can do. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You can have your seats this morning. <clears throat> Parts of this book of Job are very familiar to us. And even some phrases that we use in this book of Job have became staples in Christianity. Most popular we hear this phrase coined by James in the book of James. James says, you've heard of the perseverance of Job. That word perseverance means patience. 
And we know what a Job's comforter is. We know what that means. It's the kind of comforter who comes when you're down and out and says, well, it could always be worse than what you have it. We know what a Job comforter is. Those kind of people who you say, well, uh, you know, if, if this is the kind of uh, friend that you have, what, who needs enemies? <laughs> the prophet Ezekiel links uh, Job with two amazing men named Noah and Daniel. And Ezekiel says that they were the three most righteous men who ever lived. Amazing, Job, Noah, and Daniel. It's a text that you'll hear read at funerals very often times. They quote the scripture, the famous line that Job said, The Lord God has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It takes a lot of inspiration to be able to say that and really mean it from your heart. It takes a revelation from God to really be able to say that. We know the words of Job in connection to Jesus when he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And uh, we're so familiar as from Sunday school lessons of this story of Job of bits and pieces, but we want to this morning just dig in and glean some things out of the whole message of Job. It shows us uh, a very importance uh, in the context of Job, and we find our place in Job chapter 1. And, and what's amazing is that this book uh, is, a, is considered to be the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, maybe some of you don't know that, that the Bible is not in chronolo chronological order. And some people find that to be surprising, but it's not. It wasn't written in chronological order because it wasn't to be read like a novel or a newspaper. But the Bible says that men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit and took up pen and began to write. But Job was actually before the book of Genesis. Prophet of God says that. If you need the quote, you can get with me at the end and I'll give it to you. But the, the Job was actually before Genesis. It's considered not only to be the oldest book in the Bible, but actually most scholars, Christian and non-Christian, Consider the writings of Job to be the oldest manuscript that exists in the planet. Amazing. And that's not just coming from biblical historians, but actually uh, just secular historians believe that it was some of the oldest writings and the oldest manuscripts that exist. I love the Bible, don't you? Uh, I say like David, that your law is my delight. Your, your word is my portion. I've been that way since I was probably 14, 15, 16 years old. Just always uh, loved the Word of God and loved to read. I believe a real Christian loves to read the Bible. Yeah. I believe that, that, that it's amazing because the Bible is, is not just a, a Bible filled with prophecies and supernatural divine sayings, but a lot of the Bible actually is history. And it's one of the things that separates a Bible from a Quran or from all of the other religions in the world. You take a book like the Quran and it has nothing but sayings of prophets and divine sayings, so-called, and, and, and prophecies and supernatural texts. But yet the Quran places no history. It doesn't point to any period of time. It, it has, no, has no order to it at all. But the Bible is one of the greatest, not only divine books... But it's one of the greatest history books that you can read. And what's so amazing about the Bible is it gives us history when there was no historian to record it. Did you realize that? 
The Bible gives us history that historians write of history because they were there or stories passed on. But our Bible tells us the book of Genesis of the creation of the earth and how all things began. It gives us the history of creation, yet there was no historian to write it down about it. It not only tells us the beginning of the earth, but also in the book of Revelations, it gives us the history when there's no one there yet to write it of what's going to happen at the end of the earth. Oh, what a powerful book that we have in the Bible today. It's a supernatural book. And they believe it's one of the oldest books that was ever written was this book of Job. And what's amazing in this book of Job is that there's a large difference between uh, a Jewish understanding and a Christian understanding of this book of Job. And you find it throughout the entire Old Testament that there's not a clear understanding throughout all of the Old Testament. There's never a clear understanding of what happens after you breathe your last breath. They have no, they had no uh, idea or no way of understanding that there was a life after death. This is why Job asks this question. David asked some of the same exact type of questions because they lived on the wrong side of Calvary. Because it was only by Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus that the question was answered. That Jesus said, if I live, you shall live also. He that believeth on me, though he's dead, yet shall he live. It was with Christ's resurrection that brought us a hope. And I'm so glad I possess that hope here today. I'm so glad I'm on the right side of the cross. To know that though I go through suffering, and Job went through some of the greatest suffering he could go through, but he had no revelation or understanding that, that, that anything in life happened after his suffering. And my brother and my sister, we today suffer in our body. Some of us suffer in this life, but it's so good to know that at the end of our suffering, there's going to be a reward for those who have patiently endured because Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but fear not. I've overcame this world. I'm so glad we're living on the right side of the resurrection today. But you have to understand, Job uh, didn't understand this. As the Old Testament believers couldn't understand, uh, they, they asked the question, Job said, a flower dies and its petals fall, but it comes back again. But what about man? He's like a flower. He blooms, he comes up, but then he dies and he goes into the, the, the pits and to the earth. And, and what happens after man? Uh, but, but when Christ was raised from the dead, it answered that question. That, that if a man dies, he shall live that's why the Apostle Paul could say, I reckon that the present sufferings of this life is not worthy to be compared with the glory of the next life. Because this life is not about this life. Can you say amen this morning? This life is about the next one coming. Oh, I'm glad to be a believer today then it doesn't matter what I go through in my life. It's not about what happens here. It's about what happens in the next life. This is why in Job there's only hints of life 
after death. There are moments you see that Job knows there must be something after this one. And we know this, that it puts uh, this divine book and, and what's amazing is that, that, that a lot of Christian scholars, even Christian scholars, not all but some, believe that Job was not a real person, that he was just a poem or a fictitious character that was put in the Bible. I'm glad we had a prophet come in this generation and say, Job was a real man. Just like you're real, Job was real. Job had real sufferings. He really endured real loss. Let's pick it up here in Job chapter 1. Look here in Job chapter 1, and we'll just go through it line by line. As I asked last night, please use your, your Bible today. Amen. And you could put it on the screen also, brothers. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God. The prophet of God said he was God's greatest man of that day. He was the, just like Solomon. Uh, he was the greatest person. He was a great man. The Bible says here, he have feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him, notice this, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Notice it's going to list this man, who he was, where he was from, what day and age he lived in. And then it's going to begin to give his credentials. And it's going to list how wealthy this man was. You see, the reason why the Bible lists how many camels and how many sheep and how many oxen and how many she ass, how many, all of his livestock, is because in those days a man's wealth was not measured in green paper that you put in a bank, but his wealth was measured by how much he had in possession. How many camels he had spoke of his wealth. How many ox he had spoke of his wealth, spoke of how rich this man was. And in today's money, according to historians, Job would be considered a multimillionaire. He was a man who had great success, great money, uh, great things, uh, a great life. And you, you look at this list of camels and, and oxen and, and, and all of this great household. But right when, when the Bible is going to list how great this man is, notice what it interjects with all of his wealth was his children. It's going to list his credentials of how great a man he was. And it's not just going to list his camels and his sheep and his ox to show how rich he was. But actually having children spoke of the wealth of an individual. Oh, my brother and my sister, do you realize I'm speaking to parents today. If God has given you children, you're a wealthy person with great riches. And he puts it right in his inheritance are his children name. And not only that, he has seven sons. The number of completion and perfection. That's what his life was. It was a life of perfection. Amen. Hallelujah. And notice this, what it says here. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sat and called for the three sisters to eat and to drink. And it was so when the days of their feasting. Notice now. It's going to list this example of Job's life. You're, you're, given, you're given a picture or a glimpse into this man's life. And it says, when their days of feasting were going about, that Job sit and sanctified them. This is verse 5. That Job sit and sanctified them. 
rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Now notice, he's going to have a celebration for each child. He has seven sons, three daughters. There's seven days of the week. And so he brings and makes a celebration. This is just reading you what the Bible says. Out of each child, he's going to celebrate their life by having a feast. Could you imagine? That it's every day of the week. What was it? It was a family. You're getting the first picture of a Christian, of a godly family, one who fears God and eschews evil. What you're noticing is harmony and unity amongst everybody. There's no discord, there's no fussing, there's no grumbling, there's no complaining. Job succeeded in his family in that there was unity and there was harmony amongst the siblings. And if you really live by the laws of God, there will be unity and harmony amongst the siblings. And some of you parents are saying, Brother Matt, do you really believe that's even possible? <laughs> well, the Bible says all things are possible to them that believeth. I know it seems like a miracle. But families actually can live in harmony. <laughs> can you say amen, Mom? Can you say amen, Dad? Families can live in harmony. Job's given this picture of a portrait of a family who lives in harmony. Uh, their celebration, their brothers inviting the sisters, the sisters inviting the brothers. Everyone loves everybody. Everything's in harmony. Oh, that's the kind of home that I want to have. A home where the token is applied and there's no room for bitterness. There's no room for bickering. There's no room for fighting. There's no room for fussing uh, because Jesus fills the space of my atmosphere and there's no room for hatred or malice or, or envy or strife there's harmony and unity amongst everybody you know if you could get that in every family you'd actually get a church without fighting and bickering and strife and jealousies but oftentimes the reason why churches quarrel uh, one within another and you have cliques and sex and certain people fellowship with this person and only fellowship with these people and they never talk to the uh oh oh man I felt it right there brother Terry <laughs> like hitting a funny bone you say something you realize real quick man that was a sensitive area but oftentimes the reason and the cause of of, of strife and, and discord within a church starts at the home and most time the reason why there's no unity amongst the body is because there's no unity in the house oh help us lord <laughs> Say ouch, say ooh, say amen, say something. Notice, and it was so in the days of their feasting were going about that Job sent and sanctified them. Who's them? His children. This was Job, a rich man, had lots of wealth, harmony and unity in his family. And now the Bible says when their days of feasting were gone, Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. 
always. It was a habit in his life. Do you realize that this is the first order of where God, before Levites were going to come and offer sacrifice for an entire nation, before Levitical priesthood is ever set up? There's a priesthood set up within the home and the family. You see, whatever God does on a grand scale, there's always a small scale where it's to be applied the same exact way. The Levites offering sacrifice for the nation of Israel was only a representation of a father who would offer sacrifice spiritually for his entire family. And the Bible says that Job offers sacrifices. Oh, my brother, if God called you to to be a father of a home and a man, the Bible says you're the strong man of the house. And you're to fend off the demon spirits that want to attack the minds of your innocent children. Oh, give us fathers who are high priests of their home who will make sacrifice for their family spiritually. Do you know that that's the first order before Levites was fathers? Patriarchs of the family, men who loved and took care of and nurtured and, and cherished. Not they didn't they didn't just provide for them uh, monetarily or naturally with clothing and with shoes and, and with good things. But before all of those material things, they were providing for their family spiritually. Job is going to offer sacrifices for his children and he's going to say, I don't even know if they sinned. I'm not even sure there's anything wrong in their life. But just in case there's anything, Lord, cover their minds, cover their hearts. Oh, my my brother and my sister, sometimes you don't know what your children are going through because they don't tell you and they can be a closed book sometime and little do you know the devil's fighting them and and battling them with with wicked and evil thoughts. Oh, I say today we should pray for our young people and our teenagers say, well, I don't know what to pray for. Then just pray and say, God, whatever it is, Lord, cover their minds, protect their hearts, oh God. Shield them from the snares of the enemy. That's what Job was doing. He was saying, whatever it is, Lord, just cover them with your love. He's going to make sacrifice. You say, oh, I make sacrifice every day. But the man, I wake up at this time and I go to work and, and blood, sweat, and tears. And, and, I, and I'm trying, I'm providing for them. And I'm giving them. I, what I'm afraid of is that we have families who are rich and increase with goods materially, but are bankrupt spiritually. How much sacrifice? Oh, I say it, I'm right here in the middle and the thick of it with you, my brothers, uh, here today. How much sacrifice are we making for our family spiritually? All right, we'll move on. (laughs) Now, there was a day, notice verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou, or where'd you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now notice, this was something that the Bible gives us a glimpse of in another dimension. This was something that was taking place around the throne room of God would be the sons of God and then who finds himself there in the midst of the throne of God or the judicial system or the courtroom of God? Who do you find 
is the accuser of the brethren, Satan. Uh, you find this also in 1 Kings. Turn there, 1 Kings chapter 22, uh, verse 19. Uh, 1 Kings 22, verse 19. And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramath-Gilead? One said on this manner and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, How? Wherewith? I will go forth and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophet. So what do you find here is that Satan had access to the courtroom of God. And the, this is why the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says it this way, who accuses them both day and night. You know what Satan does? He accuses you. He accuses you to God both day and night. Look at what they've done. Look at what they've done. Look at their evil. Look at their sin. Look at, and this is what the scripture says he was doing. He was reporting to God how much evil was in the earth. You find it in Zechariah chapter 3. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, Zechariah 3, and Satan standing at his right side, right hand to resist him. What do you have? You have a courtroom. With a judge, you have an accuser, an attorney, a defense attorney, and a prosecutor. And here's Satan as the accuser of Israel. And the Lord said unto Satan, verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee. O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. What was he doing? He was accusing Israel of all their sins and all their blemishes and, and how much there was wrong. And go, what does God say? God says, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of the Lord. I chose Israel. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now you see here what's happening in the book of Job. Turn back there to Job chapter 1. And there was a day, verse 6, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro. Isn't this what First Peter tells us that Satan does? He goes to and fro, be, be sober, be vigilant. That's what Paul says. For your enemy, your adversary, goeth to and fro like a roaring lion seeking someone to eat. Seeking someone to consume. And this is exactly what Satan's role is. What you find out and what we learn from this verse is that Satan, as the prophet of God said, is not omniscient like God. You see, God is everywhere at all times. Brother Adam says, how? By his omniscience, because he knows all things before they ever happen. He's there at all times. He's always there. It doesn't matter where you go, God is there. But Satan doesn't have that ability. Satan cannot be everywhere at all times, thinking all things at all times. Satan moves to and fro rapidly through the earth, seeking whom he may devour. 
Oh, but my Bible says God has the ability to be everywhere at all times. Oh, let me say to you this morning, he's there in the good times and he's there in the bad times. He's there when you're healthy and he's there when you're sick. Satan only shows up at the the times he chooses to tempt you and to assault your mind and assault your family. But the Bible says God is there all the time. And it says that Satan is going to and fro, walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, now notice here's the accuser of the brethren, bringing up accusations. Look at what they've done. Look at your people. You said you'll have a bride. You said you have an elected group. Look at this. Look at the sin in their life. God says, I know, I know. Uh, you're right, I've heard it enough, Satan, and he's there with his accusations day and night, accusing and accusing and accusing. And God says, I know, I know, Satan. All right, you've made your case. Okay, I've heard it enough. You've said it enough, but, but, but let me ask you something. Have you ever heard of this guy named Job? Yeah. <laughs> Satan said, oh, I knew you were going to mention him. <laughs> Has thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth. I noticed in all your accusing and all your accusations, you never mention his name. And now little does Job know, a man, remember, now now come out of heaven and go to earth. In earth you have Job, a man, upright man, eschews God, fears evil, living every day, middle-aged man with family, with children, uh, running a home, running a household, uh, no doubt just going through his life, has no idea that in heaven and another atmosphere his name has now been mentioned. Did you hear me? He's just going through life, going through business of life, just living every day. See, woke up that morning just like any other day. But little does Job know his name and his story and his life are now before the courtroom of God. And God says, have you considered this man? That there's none like him. Follow it here. That there's none like him. Verse 8. There's none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man. One that fears God and eschews evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? In other words, Satan says, Do you think that he's just serving you just because? Do you think he just serves you just because you're God? No. He's not serving you for nothing, but he's only living that way because of what you give him. This was Satan's accusation. That, that Job is simply his entire life of doing right, living righteous, is only because he gets everything he wants when he wants it. You've hedged him. You've put a hedge around him. Uh, you, 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 you've, you've brought up and given him everything that he ever wanted. He has everything in life. That's the only reason Job's obedient. This was Satan's accusation. Look at it. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man. One that feared God and eschewed evil. Now what is so powerful about the book of Job is that Job is, the book of Job is not just going to give us the earthly account. But it's also going to give us the heavenly account of what's taking place on earth. You see, many times what's happening on earth is only a reaction or a result from what's taking place in another atmosphere. Wouldn't it be so pitiful 
If the book of Job just accounted and was just a book to say here was a man named Job uh, from Uz, he, he lived to, he feared God, he suffered, he lost his children, he lost his cattle, he got boils, he sat on an ash heap, and, and that was Job, his life ended, it was over, now, to, now the book of Psalms. Could you imagine if that's how Job ended? It was just a book to tell and detail the man who suffered named Job. But the book of Job is going to give us both sides of the story. Now let me tell you something, my brother and my sister, you don't get both sides of the story oftentimes in your life on earth. Most of the time we only get one side of the story. All we know is we suffer and we don't know why always. Sometimes we have loss and we never get to find out in this life why we lost. Are you with me here today, church? Oftentimes we go through things as believers and we ask why. Why did that happen? Why did this have to take place? I don't understand. And most times we only get one side of the story. But Job is going to tell us and reveal to us both sides. That not only are you going through suffering Job and losing Job, but there's a reason because in heaven, Satan has made a challenge to God and your life is going to prove the devil wrong. Now, God never tells Job that. Hmm. Ain't that amazing? He never sits Job down and says, okay, Job, now listen here. I've got to explain this to you. I'm going to give it to you play by play. All right? So you're going to go through this. You're going to first lose your cattle. Messenger is going to come. And then your ox. And then a bolt of lightning is going to come down and set the house on fire. You're going to lose all your cattle. And then a tornado is going to come. It's going to wipe out your children. You're going to, you're going to lose all your sons, all your daughters. But it's okay, Job. There's a purpose in all of this. And Job, you're just going to have to endure. You have to be patient. You're, God never does any of that. Do you realize, my brother and my sister, that oftentimes what takes place on earth is a reaction. Look at a war in Revelations 11. The Bible says that war breaks out in heaven. But then because there was a war in heaven, the Bible says a war breaks out on earth. But no one on earth knew that the war was because of what took place in heaven. Because what, what happens to us here on earth is for a divine purpose, not a natural purpose. It's because there's a divine author who wrote a book of our life and we may never understand what's happening and why is it happening, but we've got to trust in God that He's in control and that He's orchestrating everything for our good. Hallelujah. Job is never told that his life, that what he's about to go through is a challenge that has came before the throne of God. That Satan has made an accusation and said the only reason that you eat, that he serves you. Then Job, look at verse 9. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job uh, fear God for naught? Verse 10. Has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house? And about all that he hath on every side, Satan, you didn't realize when you opened your big mouth, you just let us know here on earth what you said is true. You just let us in on a secret that God hedges about those who love him. He puts a wall around them of protection. Oh, my brother and my sister, do you realize that this verse reveals to me that for everyone who fears God, God hedges them. 
He puts a wall, a castle around them to protect them. I'm so glad to know that there's a wall, a hedge that God has put about my family and that the only way Satan can have access to that castle is if God gives him permission. Oh, I say glory to God. Hallelujah. You've made a hedge. It was true. Prophet of God said it was. He said God had hedged Job. This perfect little world that Job lived in, God had put a hedge and a wall around him. And Satan knew he has no access other than what God gives him. Let me tell you something. I don't care what you go through in your life. I don't care whatever comes into your life or your home or your family, be it sickness of cancer or loss of some kind, God has put a hedge over you and nothing can come into your body unless your father who knows what's best gives Satan permission to afflict you. Thou has blessed the work of his hands. Oh, thank you, Lord. You're blessing the work of my hands. Thou has blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Verse 11. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Challenge made, and God says, challenge accepted. And little does Job know that in his own body, He's going to bear this challenge out through his life and his children and his family. Notice verse 12. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went before the presence of the Lord. You say, Brother Matt, that's a horrible verse. Oh, that God would give him permission. On the contrary, my brother, this is not a horrible verse. This reveals to you that before Satan can touch a hair on your head, he's got to get permission from your heavenly Father before he can ever afflict you. God has to authorize the trial before it ever comes hallelujah that means that nothing I have ever went through oh glory to God nothing no trial no sickness I've ever had to endure has ever came upon me until first God has gave his signature of approval because he knows what he put inside of me he knows how he made me and there's nothing I've ever went through in this body other than what my Father in heaven has authorized. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Oh, that gives me comfort to know there's been no trial that I've ever went through unless God has already seen it first. There's been no sickness that has ever came to this body until my Father in heaven has first given his stamp of approval. 
I don't care what you've lost, God authorized it. I don't care what sickness you face in your body and disease, your heavenly Father has authorized it because he knows what is best for you. He knows what is best for me and Satan can't touch me. He can't touch my children. He can't touch my home. He can't touch my health. He can't touch my money. He can't touch my mind unless God gives him access. I say glory be to God. Now notice this. Satan goes. He says, behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, and there was a day. Notice this. And there was a day when his sons and daughters, his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. What was it? It was the first wave of attack. Notice that there's nothing recorded in between verse 12 and verse 13. Because the very second Satan gets permission, he immediately goes to work. He doesn't waste any time. And he gets this message. And he says, they've slain your servants. These Sabians, these men who would later, Arabians who would conquer Babylon. He says, they've came and they've they've assaulted your servants. And I'm the only one left. And he says, and there came a, a messenger. Notice, the Bible says in verse 16, while he was yet speaking... There came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep. That was lightning. A lightning strike came down from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out of three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, What is it while he was yet speaking? It was wave after wave after wave. There was no time, a break in between, no way for Job to even catch his breath. It was one wave. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to overwhelm Job with trial after trial after trial. Prophet of God said it this way. He said it's like a buffet, like a boxer. He just hits you with blow after blow after blow after blow. A buffeting means blow after blow. And he says, while he was yet speaking... There came also, verse 18, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind, a tornado from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men. And they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Imagine. Loss after loss after loss. It would have been bad enough to lose one child. I couldn't imagine the torment and the heartache and the agony of parents who have lost children. Can't imagine. I can't. To lose a loved one is bad enough. To lose a grandfather, the torment and the sorrow 
that, that, that I even personally went through after the loss of my grandfather and the sorrow and the anguish and the loss and the memories. I couldn't imagine losing a child. Losing one who you've raised up from a little boy or a little girl and then you lose them. But not if that wasn't bad enough. Job doesn't just lose one. He doesn't just lose two. Not just three. Not just four. Not just five. Not just six. But ten kids. At the same time. All of his children. All of his cattle. And Job, it's worse. Everything you've had gone. Now remember, Job is only seeing one side of the picture. He's only seeing, he has all of his understanding, all of his rationale is based on human understanding. All of his rationale is based upon what he does. I live for God. I assure, I, I fear God. I, I make sacrifices for God. Why? You imagine the questions that came and the grief and the anguish. Why did this happen? Why? Well, what did I do to deserve this? How, what, what did I do? All I've ever done is live for God. Why would I have to go through this? Oh, Job, you may not be able to see it in the midst of your dark trial, but in another atmosphere, it was because you have a father, and he's a loving father. He's a heavenly father, and he's proving something to the devil because the devil has made a challenge, and in your life, you're going to prove that the devil's a liar. Then Job arose and ripped his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Worshipped. All the anguish. He shaves his head, rips his mantle, falls down to his knees. And you're expecting this man to go into convulsions, but the Bible says, and he worshipped. And said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what that verse has written all over it? Mission failed. Because Satan, you tried everything. You tried everything, Satan. And if anything would have got Job to deny God and to curse God to his face, it surely would have been this. But after all of your torment and after all of your suffering, after all of your attacks and after everything you've did, Job didn't know. But out of his voice, his words were literally a spear in the heart and a javelin in the heart of Satan to say, you tried, Satan, but I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm falling down, but I'm going to get back up again. You might have attacked me and attacked my family, but today I worship the Lord. Hallelujah! Mission failed, Satan. What was it? He had something down within inside of himself. And the Bible says he could say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
the Lord God giveth and the Lord taketh away. Oh, I know I've preached on it here before. It reminds me so much of the prophet after he's looking at his little baby. And Brother Branham said her legs, uh, just just fat little eighth-month-old baby kicking and squirming. And he said, and I thought, God, oh, don't take my baby, Lord. Uh, Take me, God, but don't take her after just burying her mother. And now God's going to take my baby. And he begins to beg and plead with the Lord. And he said, a black sheet fell over as if to say, shut up. I don't even want to hear you. Could you imagine the mental anguish and torment in in the prophet's mind? That he got him to such a brink, to such a point. Prophet calls it the threadbare moment where he had been warned to nothing. And he said, the devil began to tell me, look at you, look at your life. What have you done but preach the gospel? I've been in meeting after a meeting, staying up all night traveling uh, just to go into a pulpit uh, to, preach the, uh, to, to preach the gospel. You've watched dead babies, blinded eyes come open uh, in your own meetings at your hands. Uh, you've laid your hands upon the sick and people with diseases and infirmities. You've watched wheelchairs. People get up out of wheelchairs and walk out of your meetings. But now when it comes to your own baby... He won't even hear your prayer? Brother Brandon said, now everything he said was true. He said, I begin to think of it. Everything he was saying was true. What was it? It was blow after blow after blow after blow after blow after blow. Everything he said was true. And he said, and I rose up and said, God, if you won't heal my baby, then I won't. Now let me tell you what Brother Brandon was going to say. He was going to say, then I won't serve you. And let me give you news today that had it just been Brother Branham there in his own experience, he would have said, if you won't heal my baby, then I won't serve you. Because his own human spirit can only take you so far. But when your humanity falls over and falls down, the divine Holy Spirit takes over. When you can't go on, God goes on for you. And he said, I fell to my knees. Something way down on the inside grabbed a hold of me and said, the Lord God giveth. And he taketh away. He was quoting the words of Job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What was it? Brother Branham said, an anchor down inside of me grabbed hold of me and it wouldn't let me go. They said, Brother Branham, how'd you keep your religion throughout all of those trials? He said, I didn't keep my religion, brother. My religion kept me. Oh, what was holding on to him? It wasn't him holding on to Jesus, but Jesus was holding on to him. And it'll go through you for the darkest night. That anchor holds. Verse 22. In, oh, this is the best verse of the whole chapter. In all, A-L-L, and all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Let me read it to you actually the way that it's supposed to be, uh, to, to be meant. In all of this, God, Job never sinned by charging God foolishly. I don't care what Job was going through. He wasn't going to lay to the account of God for what he went through. 
And my brother and my sister, sometimes through great adversity and trial, hasty words can be said about God, and we could say foolish things about God. Let me tell you something, throughout of all of this, Job never charged God for any of it. And don't ever let yourself, I don't care what you go through in life, or what trial or hardship you face, don't ever foolishly attribute what's, what's happened to you to God. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Satan came also among them to present himself. Here he is again. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job. It's almost like God's poking at Satan. Doesn't even bring it up. Have you considered Job? That there's none like him in the earth, perfect and upright. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him. Can we say that? To destroy him without cause? Notice that. Thou hast moved me against him to destroy him. And there was no reason. There was no cause. Job wasn't a sinner. He wasn't living in sin. Notice verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. What a wicked statement. You know what Satan was saying by saying skin for skin? In other words, he was saying, yeah, but Job, he might have lost his children, might have lost his cattle, but he's still alive. As long as number one is safe, doesn't matter what you lose as long as you're still alive. Job didn't have to suffer. Job, everyone else around him suffered. He lost everything, but he never went through anything personally. Skin for skin. All that a man hath, he will give for his life. No, he won't. You might, devil, but that ain't how sons of God think. You see, he was trying to understand love by his own carnal self-love. He didn't know about selfless love. He only knew about selfish love. And sons and daughters of God, they know about selfless love, not selfish love. All that a man hath will he give for his life. Verse 5, but put forth thine hand now and touches his bone and flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So when Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his feet unto his crown, and he took him a pot sure to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God! And die. His wife has no idea. But she has literally now allowed Satan to use her words. To fulfill what he promised God. What did he tell God? Job will curse you to your face. And now the wife who could have been used as a tool for encouragement. When her husband was needing a godly wife who could be used with words of healing, words of hope, words of courage, now she was used as a tool for the devil. 
till we realize, my brother and my sister, that God put you and you together uh, to be an encouragement, not a discouragement to each other. And sometimes our words can become a, a, a thorn in the side of each other, as if it wasn't bad enough. Now Job's own wife. Her words that could have been words of life become words of death. And I don't think we realize sometimes some of the words that we say and the weight that we carry behind them. And sometimes we can say some of the dumbest things at the worst times. I'll just be honest today here for all you other men that want to be dishonest and, and don't, want to, don't want to fess up. I'll be honest for all the rest of you. Us men, us husbands can say some dumb things at the worst times. When you've got a wife who God gave you and God put over you to be an encouragement and God sent you and he could anoint you with a word of help and a word of hope but you allow your carnality and your own sinful flesh and your own pride to get in the way. Happens the same way with, with, with wives as it is husbands, fathers and mothers with children. Sometimes our words can become piercing words that the devil uses at the, the words of fathers and mothers to afflict a child worse. When God puts you there not to be, not to use words, oh my brother and my sister, don't ever use the word of God to tear somebody down. It wasn't sent for that. It has no anointing to tear down. It only is anointed when it's sent to build up and to restore and to heal. Verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women. Notice Brother Brandon said he never called her a fool. He said, You're speaking like a fool. Speaking like a foolish woman. What shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil, that was come upon him. They came every one out of his own place, Eliphaz the Timnite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar. Notice these three men. Here's three friends of Job. And the Bible says, the Bible says here, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And if they would have just done that, they would have been good friends. But unfortunately, that's not all that they were going to do. To comfort him, verse 12, and when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they, didn't, they couldn't even recognize him. This man had boils from his head to his toes. And he was in such anguish and such sorrow, sitting on the ash heap. And, and Brother Branham says that, he said, what is these men, when they, when they see him from afar off, they didn't even know it was Job. And the Bible says when they, when they realized it, they lifted up their voice and wept. They rent everyone as mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word unto him. And sometimes the greatest thing you can do for a person in mourning and in sorrow is don't say a word. Just sit with them. I know that's hard for us to do 
But the Bible says they sat with him. It was the greatest thing that they could have done. None spoke a word for they saw that his grief was very great. But they just couldn't keep their mouths shut. <laughs> Sometimes all a person needs is another person to sit with them. Tell them I'm praying for you. Encourage them. Give them words of encouragement. It's okay. It's going to be okay. But oftentimes we get down as the doctor or the technician and we try to figure everything out. This happened because of this and that happened because of this and it was because of this. And you remember this over here when you did this? I'm wondering and I'm thinking. And at the end of the day, it's just human presumption and human presuming and human understanding. You may be right, but you may be a million miles off. And after this, verse... Verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. Cursed his day. Notice this. And spoke and said, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said there is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God shine upon it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, that Eliphaz the Timnite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many. Thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was fallen, and thou hast strengthened the feeble needs. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest, it touches thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. Or where were the righteous cut off? What are they saying? Job, they're using the word of God to tear Job down. To say, Job, why do you think this has happened to you? There's got to be something, Job. Come on, just be honest, man. We're all, we're all, we're all, you know, uh, you know uh, we're, none of us are perfect. All of us make mistakes. Come on, Job. Come on, Job. Go ahead, just, just go ahead and confess it. Surely if you confess it, you read through these next chapters of these men, their, their accusations get stronger and stronger and stronger. Now Job, now when does the righteous suffer? How were the righteous? Uh, remember, I pray that whoever perished, whoever perished being innocent, your children weren't innocent, Job. Surely something's happened. This has got to be because of some secret sin in your life. You see the damage that we do when we try to take principles and apply them to every situation. You see, a principle is just that. It's a principle. And it does not always apply. You take the principle of a man shall reap what he sows. That's a true principle, a true saying. But not everything that you go through in your life that's good is because you're reaping what you sow. And not everything you go through in life that is bad is because of something you sowed that was bad. It's a principle. It works, but it doesn't apply every single time. People like a stringent word, a word, a legalistic law that they can apply to everything and every little thing. Listen, brothers, it's not how the word works. You take a principle like uh, that if a person lives righteous, they'll have a good life. That's a true principle. Good saying, good statement usually is the case. Person lives righteous, they'll probably have a good life. But not every person who has a bad life is because they're not living righteous. A person who lives evil will be under the curse of God. That's true. True principle, true saying. 
But that doesn't mean that every person who's evil will live a life that's cursed. In fact, some of the most prosperous people in the planet are some of the most wicked and vile. That's why Brother Random says, don't ever look at blessings. Don't ever look at good times as the blessings of God or bad times as the cursings of God. But we like to apply, as these men tried to apply, every principle of God had to fit an exact case. Job, if, you're, if, you're, if you are sick, it's because you've done something wrong. You take divine healing the same exact way. If a man has enough faith, he'll be healed of a disease. That's a true principle. That's a true saying. But not every person who isn't healed of a disease is not because they didn't have enough faith. I hope that doesn't choke you this morning. You take Brother Branham who had that amoeba, had, the, had, the, had the, 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 the vision that he had about the, the thing in his stomach and, and the sickness. Was it his faith? Was it a lack of faith? How about Paul? When Paul, do you think Paul lacked faith? Yet the Bible says a messenger of Satan was given to buffet me in his flesh. He dealt with the physical infirmity and it wasn't because Paul sinned. It wasn't because Paul lived unrighteously. It wasn't because he was a secret sinner. It wasn't because he didn't have enough faith. Notice what the prophet of God said. Brother, if you want to throw that PowerPoint up, you can do that. Just have just a few quotes. Notice what the prophet of God says out of the message, for him will I accept. Satan said, oh yes. Said, you got him hedged up. You're blessing him and giving him everything. You can, you could give him. Said, sure, he will serve you like that. Said, let me have him and I will make him curse you to your face. Now he said, he's at your hand. I will break the hedge, but don't take his life. Satan done everything but take his life. Took his children. Broke him out with boils, spoiled all of his goods, made him a pauper. And he set him on an ash heap back there in the backyard, I suppose, with a piece of crockery or something, scraping the boils that was in his body. My goodness. His wife walked to the door and said, Oh, Job, you look so miserable. Why don't you curse God and just die? He said, Woman, thou speakest like a foolish woman. He said, The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now watch. That man that had went through trials, that man who had been purged, God was not dealing with a sinner now. He was dealing with a saint. You mean that even after I'm born again, God still sends me through things to purge me? Yeah. What do you think this entire process of, of this human life is about? It's about refining your character and purging you making you fit for a heavenly world see a man that had been purged by God proving to Satan that there was mortals who would serve him in the face of conflict Job you didn't realize it but everything you went through was God using your life to prove to Satan that somebody will serve me in the face of conflict Oh, my brother, you may be going through anything. I don't care what it is today. Your life may be proving a point to Satan that they will still serve me. And they're not serving me because of what they get and what they get out of it. I've got news for the devil. I am glad that I am protected by God. I am glad that I am hedged around by God. But that is not why I serve him. It is not the blessings or the benefits. That is not why I live for him. I live for him because I love him with all that is within me.
And though he sends me to hell, I'll still love him. And God was going to prove that point to the devil. Notice this. Here come these fine counselors or church members. Job cursed the day he was born. He said, may the stars not shine at night or the sun by the day. But he wouldn't curse God. And there... Satan got him right down to the very threadbare moment. Then some of his friends came and instead of consoling him, they accused him of being a secret sinner like they might accuse this woman here in the wheelchair. This young man there on the bed, little spastic child, the father standing there, maybe, maybe being a secret sinner, something you've done. That's not always the case. And sometimes we can look at people who go through certain things and think, oh yeah, they're just, they're just, <laughs> just paying their dues. Made their bed. They, gotta, they, gotta, they made their bed. They got to sleep in it now. It's not always the case. Is that okay? Not everything you go through, you could go through the, some of the most horrible things and it not be because of any reaping or sowing, not because of any lack of faith or unrighteousness or obedience. Might just be another side of the story <laughs> that we'll understand better by and by. And maybe you'll go through this entire life and never understand the other side of the story. But one day, one day the Bible says he'll wipe every tear from every eye. He'll make all wrongs. You remember the story in John chapter 9 that says that Jesus passed by and saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents? Because we know it had to be one of them. This man's blind. Surely someone has sinned. Who was it? What's the first thing that human nature goes through? You must have done something wrong. Do we realize that's the same thing we do to ourselves? I must be going through this because I didn't do this or I, I didn't. Who do you think puts those thoughts in your mind? It's the devil trying to buffet you, getting you to blame yourself or condemn yourself. You need to say to God, you need to say to the devil today, Satan, you're a liar and the father of lies. My father knows what's best. Hallelujah. Master, who did send this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered and said, neither. Hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I want you to take that trial, take that question, take that problem. I don't care what it is today, raise it up to the Lord and say it's not because of anything that I did or anybody else did, but that the glory of God could be manifested in my life. And Lord, if that's what it takes, then send me through it, Lord. If that's what it takes to get glory out of my life, send me through it, Lord. Notice here, Job begins to mourn. We're going to close here. Can I have just a few more minutes? Boy, we are, we are at 1249. Can I have, is that okay? Just a couple more minutes. Maybe more than a couple, but just a few. <laughs> We're about to close, okay? Everyone perked up. Notice what Job says. 
He says here in verse 1, And Job opened his mouth, Let the day perish when I was born. This was Job. Job, a righteous man who feared God to shoot evil. Shoot evil. Yet now Job, you say, Brother Matt, is it possible for a righteous, godly person, a person filled with the Holy Ghost, is it possible that they would get to be so low and so downcast and so discouraged that they feel like they can't go on anymore? And they come to the very brink of giving up on God. Is it possible? Think about this just for a moment. Scripture says that by, the Bible says he was perfect. But now Job faces the crisis of his life, loses his entire family, loses everything. You can mute that, brother. Loses everything in his life. And look here in Job chapter 3, verse 4. Let the day be darkened. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. This is Job 3, 5. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. And for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. What day is he speaking of? His birthday. That's what day he's talking about. Cursed be the day I was even born. For the arrows of the Almighty, Job chapter 6, verse 4, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof dark drinketh upon my spirit the terrors of God. So do set themselves in array against me. Oh, he says that I may have my request and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Job, Job, you got to such a place, you just wanted to die? Job was saying, I only have one request, just let me die. Much like Elijah prayed, just, just cut me off, God. He says in, in verse 15, he says, my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my life. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone for my days are vanity. I'm a burden to myself. Job in his great anguish. I imagine the anguish that he was in, not understanding what was happening to him, only getting one side of the story. And he starts to curse the day that he was even born. In it. And if that wasn't worse, he's lost his everything in life. He's, his wife says to curse him. His children aren't there to encourage him. And now the people who were supposed to be his friends are accusing him of sin. Let me tell you what Job was. Job was all by himself. And in this state of solitude, he begins to get in depression. He begins to become suicidal in his thoughts. Brother Matt, Job? Yeah, Job. Think of Jeremiah, a man, a prophet who had the fire of God burning in his soul, had came and wanted to see revival in Jerusalem and Israel. Walked with God, was fearless before God. Yet Jeremiah himself came to such a place of total despair. Look at Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am a derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. Verse 14, cursed be the day. Wherein I was born. Verse 14. Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bore me be blessed. Jeremiah. Did you know Jeremiah said that? I didn't. 
until I read that scripture. Look at Job, righteous man. Look at Jeremiah, righteous man, godly man, feared God. Yet got to such a low place in his life, just wanting it to be over. Said, cursed be the day wherein my mother born me. A man child is born unto thee, making him very glad. Let that man be a city the Lord overthrew. Does these sound like the words of a righteous, fearless prophet of God? Yet Jeremiah in his own humanity. He's echoing the words of Job. Even a man, a prophet of Elijah, who's seen some of the greatest supernatural miracles of God in his own ministry and in his own life, just seen the fire of God fall from heaven. Yet now Elijah gets to such a place of despair. He's asking God, just take my life. Just take it. Am I not better than my father's? You took me before. Look at our own prophet. Said I put a gun to my head. And couldn't pull the trigger. Took a glove. A man, a prophet of God, a prophet to the last and final age, got to such a low place. Was he filled with the Holy Ghost? You better believe it. Spoke to God like a man speaks to a man. Spoke to the angel of the Lord at daily in his life. That was in visions and, and, and in the dwelling in the supernatural. Yet in his own humanity got to such a low place and to such a low valley Amen. takes his glove off and puts his, goes to put his hand on a high voltage line to end his life Amen. you say can a man go through such can get to such a low place in his life a man like Elijah a man like the prophet can you get to such a low place in your life to where you don't even Job gets to such a place. And if you read Job all the way through chapters, all the way through chapter 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, you'll notice Job's words get bolder and bolder and bolder and bolder. He starts off just cursing his own day, wishing he wouldn't have been born. Now he's starting to question everything in his life. Gets bolder before God. You pierce me, your arrows, you charge me like a warrior with no mercy. Remember, this is a man with only one side of the story. Didn't know what was taking place in another atmosphere. Didn't know what was happening in his life. Yet he gets to such a low place. Cursed be the day I was born. Let's look over here at chapter 38 quickly if you could. Or ch chapter 40. Turn to Job chapter 40. No, no, Job 38, that's where I meant to turn. As you read these, he gets bolder in his speech and bolder in his speech. And he asks God to speak to him. I think it was 36 times he beckoned God. He gets to such a place in his life, he says, Oh, I just need questions. I need my answers to my questions. Oh, if God were a man and he had an address, I'd go to his house, I'd knock on his door, and he said, and I'd go in and talk to him. Oh, if I could just find the place of his rest. Job says, if I could just find his throne, if I could just speak to him just for a moment. And now finally, after all of his bold speech, after all of his bold talk, after all of the bold times he spoke and said, God, if you would just speak, now God is finally going to speak. Then the Lord answered Job. Notice 
Job chapter 38, verse 1, brother. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this? I imagine Job in all of his boldness and all of his puffed out chest. Suddenly Job cowers down. He says, Who is this that darkeneth the council? By words without knowledge. Verse 3. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee an answer. What is God going to do? You imagine, here's this man in calamity and distress. His life has been torn apart, uprooted, doesn't understand, all the, has all of these dark questions. Why? Why did it happen, Lord? And now God says, stand up like a man, Job. I'm going to talk to you. I've got some questions for you. Because in God wasn't going to give Job any answers to his questions. But he was going to answer Job's question with a question. And it would be in the question of God that Job would get his answer. And he says, I want to ask you, I will demand of thee an answer. That thou answerest me. Where was thou? When I laid the foundations of the earth, declare if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest, who hath stretched forth the line upon it, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy, who or who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth, as if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud the garment thereof in the thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and broke up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto thou shalt come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Has thou commanded the morning since the day's Job, and calls the day spring to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal, and I stand, they stand as a garment. Has thou entered, notice verse 16, has thou entered the springs of the sea or walked in the search of the depth? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee, Job? What was God going to do? God wasn't going to come as a man to man with Job. But God was going to say, Job, in order for me to get you out of this place of despair and discouragement and depression, I need to start with you and show you how big and how awesome and how great I am. Let me show you how supernatural I am, Job. Verse 18, he says, Has thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare it if thou knowest it all. Because you've talked bold unto this moment like you've got everything figured out. Like you know everything and why it happened and what should have happened and what could have taken place. Your friends spoke as if they knew everything. But go ahead, Job, declare it if you know it. Verse 19, where is the way where light dwelleth? Where does light come from, Job? Where did the sun begin from? Where did the moon come from? Where do you think the stars that you look up and gaze upon at night, where do you think they came from, Job? He says here in verse 20, that thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof, that thou shouldest know the paths to the house thereof. Knowest thou because thou wast then born? Because the number of thy days is great. 
What was he saying? Job, don't look at your little problem, but look at your big God. Don't let the devil magnify your problem. What did David say? David said, magnify the Lord with me. What was David saying? He was saying, here's a secret to getting past discouragement. Here's the secret to getting past depression. When you feel down, when you feel out, when you feel defeated, magnify the Lord. Don't let the devil put a magnifying glass on your problem. And that's what the devil does. He tries to make your problem seem so great, insurmountable. He tries to blow it up and make it big. But David said, as soon as Satan does that, magnify God. Uh, put a magnifying glass on his promises. Uh, realize how great and how awesome your God that you serve is. Magnify the Lord with me and now God is going to show Job a secret and he's going to say in chapter 1 of verse chapter 40 verse 1 look there I promise we're closing right here came to my last my last thought this is the best part save the best for last you ready Verse 1 of chapter 40. Now God is going to take this man in discouragement, depression, downcast. Has no clue why everything just happened. God never ever tells him, even in all of these chapters you read to the very end of the book, he never reveals to Job the conversation that he had in his courtroom with the devil. Never told him. But God is going to do something for Job. He's going to give Job a revelation, an understanding. And now God is going to use two creatures... Two creatures to explain something to Job. He's going to say in verse 1 of chapter 40, Behold now, chapter 40, Behold now, Bohemoth. This is verse 15, brother, sorry. Behold now, Bohemoth, which I made with thee. And his force, notice, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength. Is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a hippopotamus. This is the animal he's describing, a hippo. Why would God use a hippopotamus? Yeah, here's a man and all lost his family, lost his children, lost his kids, lost his cattle. All of his friends have forsaken him. Is filled with boils from his head to his toe. And God, you're going to talk about a hippo? A hippopotamus? He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong as pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fins. The shady trees, Job's saying, okay, I get it. I understand that this hippopotamus... And the shady trees cover him with the shadow of the willows of the brook, compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. And then God's going to go straight from the hippopotamus. And chapter 41, verse 1, he asked Job, okay, that was the hippo, but can thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? What's Leviathan? 
Leviathan is a crocodile. A hippo and a crocodile? This is going to be your prescription of medicine that this man needs? A hippo and a crocodile. Can you draw out Leviathan with the hook or his tongue with the cord which thou lettest down? Can thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaws through with the thorn? Will he make supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words? God is saying, if you put a hook in a crocodile's nose, do you think he's going to talk very nicely to you? <laughs> is he going to speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Will thou take him for a servant forever? What's God doing? Job, look at the hippo. Can you, can you control him? Can you tame him? Look at the Leviathan, the crocodile. Let me ask you something, Job. Can you take a hook and put it in the nose of a crocodile and make him your pet? Your pet crocodile? And your pet hippo? I promise you, you don't want a hippopotamus for Christmas. You can't have a hippopotamus for Christmas. You can't have one for a pet. You can't have, you can make a pet out of almost anything, but not a hippo. He'll bite your finger off. He'll bite your hand off, bite your leg and maim you. More people are killed by hippos every year than any other animal in Africa. Can you put a ring in Leviathan and croc in the crocodile's nose and make it obey you, Job? <laughs> Notice what he says in verse 5. Will thou play with him as with a bird? Or will thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the companions make the banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Can thou fillest his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Can you put hooks in his body and fish spears and expect to come out of that fight alive, Job? Behold, the hope of him is in vain. He says in verse 8, Let lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. In other words, go ahead and lay your hand on that crocodile. You'll never forget that battle that you had with that crocodile. For the rest of your life, you'll remember it. What is God trying to get Job to understand? That Job, these problems that you're facing, these questions that you're asking are like crocodiles and hippopotamuses. You can answer some questions in your life, Job. There's going to be some battles and some trials and some tests that you go through that you can fight and that you can wage and that you can win. But there's going to be some things in your life. There's going to be certain monsters in your life that you can't tangle with. Job you can't fight by yourself Job but I'm here to tell you I can put a hook in a crocodile's mouth and make him obey me I can make the hippo my pet and my servant Job you don't have power to fight him but I do yeah. hallelujah you don't have the power to face these problems in your life. There's going to be some things, my brother and my sister, some problems that you face that are untamable and uncontrollable. But God says, just give me those problems that are uncontrollable in your life and I'll control the crocodile. I'll keep the hippopotamus at bay. I can fight and I can win for I made them, Job. I created them. Hallelujah. Job, can you battle these problems in your life? No. 
Because if you go to try to wrestle with that crocodile, you get your hand bit. Maybe worse. And my brother and my sister, what is God trying to tell Job? Job, you may never have the questions or the strength to fight this kind of battle. But there's some things in your life you just got to give to me, Job. You just got to turn them over to me, Job. Job says in chapter 41, the very next chapter, notice what Job says. Uh, chapter 42, then Job answered and said, chapter 42, verse 1, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou can do everything. Now I know that thou can do. What was it? This man who was in an ash heap and depressed and discouraged starts to come up off of his feet. He starts to arise and joy starts to come back to brother Job and light begins to shine in his heart. And he says, I know thou can do anything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. He says here in verse 5, I have heard of thee. From the time I was a little boy, I heard of thee. And I serve thee. And I worship thee. And I sacrifice unto thee. With a hearing only experience, I worshiped you and I served you. I have heard of thee. But now, but now, mine eyes see a thing but now when after the trial you see Job is saying I understand now that I had to go through the loss I had to go through the trial I have heard but in order to see you I've got to go through the fire I have heard of you but in order to see you I've got to go through the test oh my brother and my sister it was only when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego went through the fire that the fourth man appeared in their life it was only when Daniel was put in the lion's den with the lion to consume him that the fourth man appeared it was only when the children of Israel stood before the Red Sea and said we're lost we can do nothing else it was only when they stood still to see the salvation of God that God parted the Red, the Red Sea and it's only when me and you can go through the fire and through the trial and through the test and through the loss and through the sorrow you say through the sorrow through the sorrow we've got to go through it in order to see our God mighty in battle mighty in deliverance Oh, do you believe that here today? Mighty to save, mighty to heal. Oh, stand to your feet with me today and say, God, will you control the uncontrollable? Oh, raise a hand, say, Lord, I need you to tame the untamable. I need you to come and control what I can't control, oh God. I need you to heal. Oh, bow your heads with me. I need you to heal that area, that question. Send healing in your wings, oh God. I want to be able to say like Job, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now, now, now I see. Now I see that there's going to be certain monsters in my life. Maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of a child, maybe a disease, maybe a sickness. And it's not always because you've sinned or done anything to deserve it. But maybe your life is caught up in a divine purpose. 
I want to say, and I wonder if you could say, by an uplifted hand, Lord, give me the faith to trust you in everything, in every situation, in every problem, in every question, in every test, in every trial, in every storm. Don't let my attitude get wrong. Don't let me get sour and bitter. Don't let me take those problems, those things that were sent for my good, and allow Satan to make me bitter and make me hateful. Don't, 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 don't let the devil, oh, how many can pray this to say, Lord, don't let the devil use me as a tool uh, to, to tear down my loved one, my spouse, my children. Don't let him use me to tear down. Let him use me and anoint me to build up, to be used as a tool of encouragement, as a tool of healing. Oh, is that your prayer here today? Say, God, would you use my mouth, use my words? If I'm going to use words, then I'm going to speak. May they be words of life. May they be words of hope. May they be words of encouragement, not of discouragement. Not of, not of, not of, not, not to tear down. Let me be used as a friend to those who are weary. Let me be used as a tool of encouragement for the discouraged. Use my life, Lord, to affect that brother who's going through the hardest trial of his life. Let, let maybe something I say or something I do, maybe an action of service, maybe something I can do for that family. I don't need to figure it out and, and get out. They don't need all the answers to all their questions. Use me, oh God, as, as, as the hands and the feet of Jesus to go to that person and to use them and anoint me with a gift, with a spirit of healing and encouragement and faith and love and hope and trust. Not, not to tear down. Use my life, Lord. Play something for me. Brothers, if you could, take my life and be glorified. The patience. You have heard of the patience of Job. Little did Job know. Little did Brother Job know. Though he's seen a vision and said, I know my Redeemer liveth. Though the skin worms destroy this flesh, though I go to the grave, though I lose a lot, I know suffering has an end. Death has an end. It doesn't end at a graveyard. It's not where life ends. It doesn't end in a hearse. It doesn't end with weeping. It doesn't end with tears. That's only a, a doorway into a new life. The story doesn't end with Job suffering. The story of your life doesn't end with loss and just suffering and sorrow and torment. Though Satan may tell you that's how your life and your story is going to end, God is here to tell you your story doesn't end there, my brother. Whatever problem you're facing, whatever trial, whatever sickness, whatever storm, whatever it is, it is not the end. It is not the end. It's just the beginning because your story is going to end with life. It's going to end with joy. It's going to end with peace. It's going to end with love. It's going to end with shouting. It's going to end with so no sorrow, no trouble, no tears. No pain, no heartache, no sickness, no goodbyes. It's going to end with joy, love, and peace. Let it be, Lord. Take every life, Lord, here today under the sound of my voice. Every person, every, every young, uh, old, Lord, teenager, uh, every married couple, every family, every home, every father, every mother. 
May you encourage us today, Lord. May a spirit of refreshing, a spirit of encouragement. Maybe we could just raise a hand and say, Lord, I want to receive that today. I want to receive that today, Lord, in my spirit. I don't want to live with this bitterness anymore. I don't want to live another day with this question anymore. I may not get the question answered, but I'll have a trust that'll take the place to say, I trust you, God. In everything I go through, I trust that I may only get one side of the story here, but there's another side that'll be told one day, and you'll make all wrongs right, and I'll understand it better. By and by, Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Oh I can sing today Then sing sings my
raise your hands and sing it now. Oh, in the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty. Oh, the Prince of Peace. Of peace this morning, Lord. All my troubles. trust the word was a blessing to you. Amen this weekend. Praise the Lord. Amen. Trust something was said that would encourage you. God bless you. Certainly begin to be here with you this weekend. You love the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Give him another hand clap of praise. Amen. God bless you. We sing this as we're dismissed this morning. Oh, he's got it all in control. He's got it all in control. He's put that reassurance way down in my soul. He's got it all in control. got it all in control. He's got it all in control. He's put that reassurance.